Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It's interesting that if you look at the Gospel reading and what was going on in the Gospel reading and then you come to the reading in the Acts of the Apostles, what you would see, even though they don't sound exactly together, you would see the fulfillment of what Jesus prayed in the upper room. See, John 17 is the final chapter of the chapters that encompass Jesus in the upper room with his Apostles. And during that time, he would wash their feet and he would institute the Last Supper, Holy Communion as we call it. And then he would teach them and instruct them. And then when you get to the last chapter, the whole chapter, chapter 17, what you find is Jesus praying with his apostles. And the prayer is broken down into three sections. Section number one is a prayer about Jesus and his relationship with the Father and his mission, why he was there. And then the second section has to do with his apostles and his disciples. And then when you come to the third section, the one we have today from verses 20 through 26, what you have in that section is Jesus praying for the world. That is, beyond the immediate circle. And what you see in Acts of the the Apostles is you see that fulfillment of the apostles now beginning to go out into the world. That's what Philippi, if you will, would represent. See, because when Jesus, after he had died and rose again, and then he ascended, right before he ascended, which is, by the way, what we celebrated this past Thursday in the church calendar year, right before he ascended, he said in Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then you get to Acts chapter 1, and he talks about being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so the promise to the apostles and the, and the commission to the apostles is to take it out, to go. And so what you see in the earlier chapters of Acts is there in Jerusalem. And then you see as persecution began to break out as it was spreading through Judea, it would break into Samaria. And then after Samaria, then they would go out into the Roman Empire and eventually beyond. It was because of persecution, in part, that forced the gospel out. But they would take it to the ends of the earth, which means all peoples, all faiths, and they would encounter all kinds of both responses of receiving and responses of resistance as they took the gospel into the world. And that's even what we see in this reading from Acts of the Apostles. But one of the things to keep in mind as you get toward the end of Jesus' prayer, and also the reason that we are taking the gospel out into the world, is out of love. That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are so in love with Him that... We discover the blessing more and more of His grace and mercy. We want other people to get in on it. We want to share that blessing that we've received in our lives, especially if we love them. 
Secondly, because we love Him, we want to take it in the world because that's what He wants us to do. This is His plan for the world. His plan for the world is that the gospel would spread out to all places. And the way that it's spread out is through Christians sharing their testimony and the gospel. That's how the gospel is spread. That's, if you will, the plan. And that's why we are called to take this out into the world and not just keep it to ourselves in this holy huddle here. That's what Acts chapter 16 represents, is this going out into the world. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. And if you were to read in the scriptures, but also some history of Philippi, what you would discover is it was a Roman stronghold. It was established by the Romans. It was controlled by their government, lots of troops around, and it was a a metropolitan city in a lot of ways. And so what you would discover there is a variety of peoples, a variety of faiths or religions, and you would discover also Jews and Gentiles mixed together. So that's the scene. So if you will, this represents the world. It's polytheistic. And so Paul and Silas come into town through a vision that Paul received. And they began talking to people about the Lord. And they begin to exercise ministry. And as they do, they get a twofold response, which you would expect. One is that people are receiving. That's what you would see earlier. Receiving Jesus Christ in the gospel. And so they would return day after day to this place of prayer. And in the process of going to this place of prayer, they encountered this woman, a slave girl, as we're told, who had a spirit of divination. In other words, she was telling fortunes. That's what she was doing. And what was going on with that? Well, she was owned by some men who were making money because of her. And how often we see that in our culture. How often we see people exploiting other people to make money. You know, think about how many people out there have made decisions based on money and not based on caring for people. People who defraud. People who steal businesses. White collar or just regular street crime. Oftentimes it's all about money and oftentimes it ruins others' lives. Because money has such power in our world and people think it's what's going to bring them fulfillment. And what they're missing is it's not. And not only that, instead of blessing other people, they end up abusing other people in order to get there many times. There's a lot of people who have made a good, honest dollar and made their money, their wealth, in honest ways. But look at the corruption that we see around us in business, in politics. On the streets, it doesn't matter. It affects every level of life. And that's what we see here with this slave girl. You know, what's funny is this spring, I don't know how many of you watched the NCAA tournament, the road to the Final Four, but one of the bylines that was snuck in several times is this the last time that you're going to see as you were entering the NCAA, the Big East. 
as we know it now. Now, I don't know if that means a whole lot to you ACC and SEC people. But I grew up rooting for Pitt. Surprise, right? And Pitt is no longer going to be part of the Big East. Those rivalries that I grew up with, it's not going to be the same. What drove that? Money. Money drives so much in our culture today. It's amazing to watch what the influence is. And it's beginning to drive so much in our world, in our global economy. So anyway, what we're, what we're told right here is this, this is about unlawful practices. That's what we're being told. But the reality is, it's about money. Because when these men get upset because this slave girl can't do her divination thing anymore, they go to the authorities because they want these men punished because they took away their money-making scheme and says these men are teaching things that are unlawful for us as Romans. Now take a step back from that just for a second. What were they teaching that was unlawful? Because they cast out a demon? I don't think that was unlawful. Secondly... They were doing practices that many of the Jews already did, which is praying and praising Yahweh in a polytheistic society. I don't think that's against the law either. They were being good moral people, blessing other people, praying for and with other people. Was that unlawful? No. See, oftentimes, when you want to corrupt someone's opinion of someone else, you, you will use half-truths to do so. Half-truths float around in our culture all the time. And that's exactly what they were using here. This wasn't about lawful practices. These were not what we would call good men. In fact, they were abusive men. But they used the ploy of half-truths in order to get Paul and Silas arrested. And not only arrested, you, did you catch what we were told about them? They were put in the inmost cell. In other words, the worst of the worst. Sometimes the way prisons work during this time is people would contract with the government to keep prisoners in their house and the government would pay them to keep the prisoners there. And so the family stayed usually upstairs and they were kept down in what we would call a dank, dark basement. The more money they could make, the better off they were. And so they might not feed them as much. They might not take care of them. The conditions were very poor. I remember seeing a prison over in Tanzania that would reflect this nature. I remember seeing when we were on Zanzibar, the place they used to keep the slaves before they would sell them. The conditions were awful. And this would be similar to that. The inmost cell for someone who was, what? Preaching the gospel. Praying for people. Delivering demons. Sounds like a really dangerous person to me. But that tells you something when you go out in Jesus' name sometimes what you're going to face because that's what they did.
They simply went out in the name of Jesus to secure this slave girl's freedom. Maybe not physical freedom, though this might have led to that. Because she was enslaved so that they could make money. But it certainly freed her from spiritual slavery of which so many people are also in our culture stuck by. And it manifests itself in a variety of ways. Spiritual slavery can be the fact that you don't want to change. That you like your lifestyle apart from the Lord. You would rather live the life you've chosen than the life He would choose for you. That you might be bound by culture's rules instead of God's love, by the way. That it might be some kind of addiction. It might be materialism. There's all kinds of enslavery around us. But see, what we're told in Scripture is if you want to be really free, you discover God's love in Jesus Christ in you. You want to be really free, you discover the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit changing your heart and changing your life. That's real freedom. And that's what they offered this slave girl. And that's what they were in the inmost cell for. The crux of it was because they said something in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you, our culture today, you can still get in trouble for doing that. You can still get in trouble for quoting the Bible in a public setting. Isn't it interesting? Now, we may not face the same kind of persecution they face now. But this dichotomy that we see in this scripture of when you say the name of Jesus and when you proclaim the word of God, that there is two different reactions, that exists today as well. Trust me. And God is inviting us to make a decision about that. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, that the same thing the apostles lived and were called to do and were called to be, so are we. We are called to first, what Jesus prays for in that prayer, proclaim the word. As you send them out into the world to what? Proclaim the word. That we are meant to be His witnesses in all the world. That we are to share our testimony. That we are to be able to and willing to share the gospel. And we see this done, by the way, in three different ways in this particular reading from the Acts of the Apostles. The first thing is that Paul and Silas simply say, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. In the name of Jesus. The simple laying out of the name of Jesus. In our culture today, you will distinguish yourself. If you use or invite or pray with the name of Jesus. And you know what's interesting? Who got upset? People who didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord but were about greed. That's the ones who got upset. And that thing still happens today too in other ways. Let me give you an example. Who gets upset if a prostitute or a drug dealer converts? The pimp and the pusher. Right? That's the ones who get upset if a prostitute converts or a drug dealer converts. What about if you have two thieves going around 
stealing from people. And one decides to repent and confess. How do you think the other one's going to react? Oh, good idea. I don't think so. Think about if someone is a conservative Jewish or Muslim and comes from a a conservative Jewish or Muslim family. And they convert. Who's upset? The family. See, it's interesting. If you go not only in our culture but throughout the world, you will see consistencies of how when you claim the name of Jesus, when someone claims the name of Jesus who hadn't before and decides to be transformed by the power of the gospel, how it will have an impact. And it's meant to. It's meant to. In the short run, sometimes it causes pain. It causes pain for the one who receives Christ. It sometimes causes pain for the one who shared the gospel. But in the long run, God's goal is to work for good. In the long run, God's goal is to get to the world. And to change the world. The second way they share the gospel is when they're in prison at midnight after they've been beaten and thrown into the inmost cell singing and praising the Lord and praying. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself right now. Okay? If you'd just been beaten with rods, thrown into a very dank, dark, smelly place with probably little or no food, and you were still awake at midnight, with your bruises and your cuts? Be honest, would you be singing hymns and praising God? What would most of us be doing at that point? I can't believe this! I serve the Lord and look what happens. This is bogus! And look at these conditions, this is just awful! I mean, sometimes when we go to a hotel room and we're paying 100 bucks for a room and it's not really nice, we think it's awful. See, the reality is, we oftentimes in a situation like this, and it doesn't even need to be this bad, will be people who complain and not people who witness. And it was their hymn singing and their praying that changed the people in the prison with him and changed the Philippian jailer in his house. And his whole household, by the way. We'll get to that. But I want to ask you a question. Do you ever go in the grocery store and run into someone who just starts complaining to you? Do you ever do that? And what's your response usually? You either join them or, or you want to get away from them as fast as possible, right? Let me give you some advice. Next time you're in there with someone who's got all kinds of problems or all kinds of challenges, say, let me pray for you right now. Two reasons. One, it will be a great witness to the people around. Two, it'll probably get them to be quiet really fast. But I'm serious. I'm serious. You know, it's, it's amazing how many times we allow people around us to dictate how we respond instead of how God would have us respond or how we in our hearts would respond. Which is, I'll pray for you. 
Well, pray for them right then. Pray with them right then. That would be a wonderful witness. When we go to restaurants, my family, we pray. Why is it we hesitate praying in public? Because praying in public could lead to, much like Paul experienced with the Philippian jailer and the other prisoners, conversion. That's another way to proclaim the gospel, by the way. Why are we afraid? Why are we intimidated? Isn't it who we are? Don't we believe in prayer and the power of prayer? Don't we love to call on the name of the Lord because He loves us and it brings us to His presence? Third way. The Philippian jailer comes in and he's ready to off himself. Paul and Silas say, don't do that. We're still here. The testimony of saying, don't do that, we're still here. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they began to share the word of God with them. See, it's all the steps that led up to this point. Now they talk about Jesus specifically and they share the word of God specifically. See, and we're all supposed to be equipped to do that. All of us. So that we can reach out in Jesus' name, to touch lives and share His Word with people so that people have the good news brought to them. And what happened at that point? The Philippian jailer converted not only him, but his whole household. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Of course it's because Paul and Silas chose to be faithful. Of course that's true. We can point to that. But you know why else? It's because they chose to love instead of retaliate. Once again, think about it. If you were in that situation, you'd just been beaten. The Philippian jailer throws you into this awful place. And the guy comes down and he's going to kill himself because he knows either the Roman soldiers are going to kill him because his prisoners are escaped, so he thought because of the earthquake, or he was going to be in trouble because his prison failed. In either event, he was in deep trouble. So he decided he would kill himself. And Paul and Silas, instead of saying, oh good, this is going to be good, they, they don't do that. They say, don't do that to someone who just treated them terribly. Terribly. We complain when someone gives us a dirty look. loves him. And that's what Jesus wrapped up the prayer with, that binds it all together. You look in Romans 12, you look in Colossians, you look in 1 Corinthians 13 and the surrounding chapters, you will see over and over again, the power of the gospel comes through the love of God's people. We need to be loving toward one another. Because that's a witness to the world. And we need to be loving the unbelievers out there because it's love that's going to win them over. It's not harshness. It's not judgmental words. It's not a sneer. It's not condescension. It is love that is going to win them over. And what Paul and Silas did that day was reach out in love to this jailer who treated them terribly. What was the response? The response was in kind. Because the Philippian jailer fell 
on his knees in front of them. The Philippian jailer cleaned their wounds. The Philippian jailer brought them up into his own home and fed them, which means you're like family because when you do that in the Middle East, you're like family. What a transformation in that moment because of Paul and Silas' love. Love first for the Lord, being witnesses for Him. And love secondly for those around Him who weren't exactly treating Him well. That's the power of the Gospel. That's what we are called to be about and meant to be in our lives. That what Jesus prayed for is meant to be realized in our lives. He promises to send the Holy Spirit for this purpose. That we would be transformed. This past Thursday, as I just said, we celebrated the ascension in the church calendar year. The ascension is when Jesus ascends back up to heaven. He came to die on a cross. He said, I must die so that your sins would be forgiven. He told them that. Then after he rose again, he said, I must go to my Father so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. His coming and his going were both about the musts that he needed to do. To die in our place for our sins so that we would know salvation and eternal life. Through the cross, through his blood. And then because he ascends and goes to the Father and prays for us at his right hand, he sends his Holy Spirit to us so that we are now empowered to live the life that he lived. In the power of sacrificial love. That's why Jesus must ascend. And we will celebrate next Sunday Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit till then. Because all you need to do is ask. Ask for Jesus to come in and change your heart. And give you a new heart. That's the promise of Scripture. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in and take over your life. So that you learn what it means to be following in the footsteps of Jesus. Proclaiming the kingdom. Bringing love into situations where others might be surprised. That's the power of the gospel in our lives. That's the power of the gospel that's meant to be for the world. The world that at best is neutral. The world in this situation, that the world may know, which is what Jesus said, so that the world may know. Thank you. That the world may know. Because the world are those who don't believe. The world are those who don't know. That's what Jesus said when he was in the upper room and said, I send you into the world so that they may know. Who knows? The Christian knows. The Christian is meant to know. Who doesn't know? The world that's lost in their sin and needs to know. The world is full of unbelief and people who are lost and people who are abusing other people for financial gain because that's what they think the world is meant to be about. Not serving the Lord. Not serving each other. This is so the world may know and we are the instruments to bring that 
into the world. And it's the power of prayer that will change your heart and change your life and change the world around it as the Holy Spirit enters you and empowers you to be one of those instruments, one of His disciples that brings that change into the world so they may know. Now, I haven't forgotten it's Mother's Day. And I want to point out how one person changed a household. One person. The Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer, because he was willing to be converted, brought his family together. Brought others who worked in the household and the jail together. His household. And they were all converted. One person. And how Paul would later write the letter to the Philippians, one of the most joyful, uplifting, encouraging letters. During this time, his first memory there is being thrown in prison. Because of this Philippian jailer. And it's not just about men. It's about women. I think of Monica, the mother of Augustine. 38 years she prayed for her son who was a pagan and he was lost. And when you say Augustine or Augustine in the church, he's one of the most well-known names down through history. History had a great impact on the church. John Wesley, the Methodist church. His mom's name, Susanna. We know his mom's name. Susanna used to pray with and for her children. Susanna used to talk to her children about the Word of God. John Wesley is one of the most well-known preachers in the history of the Christian church and traveled throughout the world and hundreds of thousands of miles on horseback to bring the gospel to people. His brother Charles, songwriter, hymn writer, wrote, get this, over 6,000 songs and hymns. And by the way, he was the contemporary worship writer, songwriter of his day. Just so you know that. Isn't it amazing what a, what a praying mom, a witnessing mom, can do for her family? One person can do for their family. As they begin to walk with the Lord and live this life of love and be willing to share the gospel with those around them. And that's the goal of the gospel is first, the immediate surroundings. Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem means your home. The first place that you're a witness is your home. You learn what it means to love your spouse if you're married, your children if you have them, your parents if you're still a child. And then you take it out to other family in the neighborhood. And then you take it out to wherever God calls you to be, where He calls you to share the gospel. And that's why this church goes to places like York Place and to Allendale, to the prison there. And we had Kairos. We had a team go to Kairos last weekend and share the gospel in prison. And then we go out to Honduras, Dominican Republic. We go to disaster sites to bring the gospel. We go to Tanzania, Kathy, is in Kenya right now with Kevin Higgins who preached here a couple of weeks ago with Global Teams. See, that's the call of the church and we're meant to do it individually and together. That they all may be one 
Father as you and I are one. So as we're connected to Christ and we understand that love relationship and the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we have this power flowing through us and we become people of prayer, then we take it to our family and to the world. That's how the world's going to change. That's how families are going to change. And the underlying strength is the love that God gives us through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to wait another day. If you don't know the Lord, today's your day. You just invite Him into your heart, into your life. And begin to understand what that love poured out means. Or invite the Holy Spirit to take over and begin to be a person of prayer so that you can be His instrument to bring change in the world. That's the call as a Christian. That's the call for us individually and as a body, this church. Let's be His instruments. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, as we look at the world around us, there's such corruption, such abuse of people, such a striving after things. And Lord, what you offer through your Son, Jesus, is true fulfillment. The fulfillment that comes by knowing your love and knowing your grace knowing that we are eternally secure by the power of the cross, that Jesus went there dying for us, that he showed sacrificial love, the same love that we're invited to share in. Lord God, we pray that as Jesus prayed in the upper room so that we might be one, one with you and one with each other, that we might be a powerful force in the world around us that the world may know, a desperately lost world. And that we might do so because your love lives in us. The fruit of the Spirit that begins with love. Lord God, I pray this day that your Holy Spirit would shower upon this place. That those who have hearts that are broken or hearts that are stoned, be turned to hearts of flesh softened by your grace filled with your love and Lord for those that know you that we would have a renewed commitment to be your instruments to bring change to our culture and to the world Lord let it be so we pray this in Jesus name Amen